Tech Night Owl Live, the show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This week on the Tech Night Owl Live, we'll be featuring Adam Inkst of Tidbits and Take Control Books, talking about Apple and the Department of Justice and what they're asking in a settlement from Apple over that ebook price fixing trial. We'll also hear from Gavin Drake of Quark, all about Quark Express 10, and then Brian Chaffin of the Mac Observer, and maybe we'll hear from the fake Steve Ballmer. Much more to come on the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs> we have Adam Inkst of Take Control Books and Tidbits joining us once again, and we're going to talk about largely the Department of Justice's successful lawsuit against Apple over ebook price fixing. But just want to ask one thing, just to understand this, Adam. Eric Holder is not going to be asked to sit on the board of directors of Apple as part of the Department of Justice's <laughs> remedy, are they? No, probably not that extent, but I'm sure they'll try to get someone on there. Yeah. Now, let's for those who haven't been paying attention to the inside baseball game we're playing here. For those who don't know what happened, a quick background, please, Adam, on the lawsuit, the reason for the lawsuit, and how it ended up. Okay. This all stems back to when the iPad was going to be announced. and Apple wanted to have the iBookstore coming out at the same time with iBooks. And they said, okay, we want to have books from the, all the big publishers. And there's six big publishers. So Apple started going to talk to all of them. In the course of negotiations, the publishers, who were scared silly by what Amazon was doing in terms of discounting ebook bestsellers to $9.99 – managed to come up in conjunction with Apple. Both parties were contributing to this. Uh, a set of contracts that Judge Denise Cote, in the case that came out of this, said basically had the result of raising ebook prices for everybody and causing a situation where no one could compete on price in the ebook industry. So, Department of Justice and 33 states file this antitrust lawsuit against Apple. It goes to trial. The judge rules against Apple. That's kind of how we've gotten here. <laughs> now, briefly speaking here, what was Apple's defense? Well, in the suit, Apple more or less said, we didn't do it. Unfortunately, the evidence was pretty compelling. And the judge even said in her opinion a number of times that Apple's testimony in the during the lawsuit during the case was not credible in other words you know, they lied um, yeah there's a little bit of lying and there's a little bit of trying to determine the best way of spinning something from a particular point of view the problem is is that in this modern day and age there's a whole lot of evidence which is just available. Email messages, phone records, all that kind of stuff. So the Department of Justice put together a pretty good case, frankly, and Apple and the publishers were seen to be doing the wrong thing. And publishers all settled. So actually, first of all, one of them drops out to begin with. They don't make the deal with Apple. So there's only five publishers who are in the lawsuit. They all cave and settle with the Department of Justice Pretty quickly, it takes a couple of years for the last one or two to fall into place. But Apple vows to fight the entire time. My guess is there's two reasons for that. One is Apple probably didn't intend this to be the case, that this doesn't 
intent does not actually come into play. You don't necessarily intend to be speeding, but if you are speeding, you've still broken the law. And so that's you didn't that. intend to speed, but you know you just lost track of what you were doing, and your yeah. foot gradually pushed on the accelerator harder and harder. And by the time you reached 115 miles an hour, <laughs> the police were after you. I understand now. It happens to the best football player, old football players of us. So any of it. It even happens to baseball players who are charged with taking performance enhancement <laughs> drugs. Gee, I made three home runs yesterday with the drugs. The previous day I only made one. Therefore, I should continue to take the drugs. Of course, I may develop all sorts of physical problems later on, but who cares? So uh, so in any event, that's one reason why Apple's fighting, probably fighting it. The other probable reason that Apple's fighting it is, is purely from a PR standpoint, that Apple is in a situation where they need to be seen as the good guys. They really don't want to be seen as Microsoft. So they want to fight this as far as they can and hopefully win so that they can be cleared of any wrongdoing. And actually, I think we know a little bit more about this now that we see what the Department of Justice's proposed final judgment is. This is the, what's become the new news. Because the, the DOJ basically wants to put their fingers into Apple's business everywhere. And if that's an ugly image in your head, sorry, but that's kind of what's going on. So explain. Final judgment comes down. The next step is a trial for damages. And so that's what we're all waiting for. In the meantime, the Department of Justice comes up with this thing called the proposed final judgment, which is what the DOJ and the states, keep in mind, there's 33 states involved here also, what they want to see happen to Apple to remedy the antitrust situation. There's a, a variety of things that they want. It's actually a fairly, a fairly extensive list. And I've got an article up on the Tibbetts website that, that lists it all. To summarize this kind of stuff, I think what it really comes down to is that the DOJ wants to prohibit Apple from making certain kinds of contracts that result in prices and control the kinds of wording that can be in those contracts, something specifically uh, what's called most favored nation clauses, where if anyone else has a lower price, if you have a most favored nation clause, you get to match that price. There's all of this, all of these requirements that Apple basically throw out all sorts of agreements that exist now um, and were not determined to be unlawful and must agree to all these new new approaches. So that's one big kind of clump of the requirements. So basically it's revising a lot of what they do and how they make agreements with these various content providers. And that's one of the things that may come into play is that some of these requirements do not appear to be explicitly worded to be restricted to book publishing. So this may affect Apple's music and video and other businesses where they have contracts that may violate these proposals. That's a real problem for Apple, that if you're a business the size of Apple, you know, you need to have a certain leeway to negotiate or you're not going to be able to get the, the terms that you feel you need to make a business successful. And all of this, keep, keep in mind, this is not a matter of illegal contracts. The law already says you can't make illegal contracts. The DOJ's proposals are restricting Apple from what are nominally legal things to do already. 
So the second big thing that Apple would have to do is have a in, full-time internal antitrust compliance officer, this is you know, the Eric, Eric Holder joke, who would report directly and exclusively to the audit committee of Apple's board of directors. So it's basically saying they need this person inside the company who will be looking at absolutely everything Apple does and reporting directly to the board of directors rather than the executive team. Then the second part of that is what's called an external compliance monitor, which is someone or company appointed by the court, which would be looking at Apple from the outside, looking at whether or not they're complying with the proposed final judgment and the internal antitrust compliance provisions. Those, and Apple would have to pay for that too. And Apple, it's not probably a huge sum of money in terms of how much money they would have to pay to have this done, but it potentially could be hugely expensive for Apple's business if absolutely everything has to be run by these people. You know, this reminds me of the TV show The Good Wife, where this legal firm that the star of the show is working at, they go bankrupt, and they have a bankruptcy trustee who goes in there, and every case they take, the trustee has to approve it. Everything they do, it's got to be approved. Now, in the TV show... The trustee was played by Nathan Lane, who's this wonderful Broadway (laughs) actor. So, of course, everything he did was great because he's a great performer. But, and we'll answer what the but is in a moment, we have Adam Inks joining us. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Out Live. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services. For your personal or small business use, each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. Friends, this is Alex Jones for MidasResources.com. For more than 15 years, I have exclusively used Midas Resources for all my precious metal needs. Whether it's bullion or collectibles you're looking for, Midas Resources is simply the best. I own my gold as a hedge against inflation. This Federal Reserve fiat currency could go the way of the Deutschmark and the Weimar Republic anytime. In these historically dangerous times, it makes sense to physically hold gold and silver. Midas already has some of the best deals in the industry. But if you give them a call and mention the radio special, they will give you a list of the day's super specials. Midas brokers are standing by to answer all your questions at 800-686-2237. They also have a lot of informative free literature explaining the opportunities and risk of holding precious metals. They are ready to answer your questions at 800-686-2237. Again, that's 800-686-2237. 
Wouldn't it be nice to have one product that replaces more than 10, saving you space, time, and money? HempUSA.org has a complete full-spectrum vitamin mineral detox formulation called MicroPlant Powder Gold. MicroPlant Powder Gold contains 101 vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and iodine, has a 100-year shelf life, and is a perfect addition to any storage shelter. Make MicroPlant Powder Gold your choice. Call 888-910-4367 or visit HempUSA.org today. HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with Microplant powder. Order today at 888-910-4367 or visit HempUSA.org. We live in a complicated society. Stressful issues are always popping up. Have you ever been treated unfairly by someone? Have you ever been overcharged for a repair? Have you ever signed a contract or a document? Worried about identity theft? How many times have you been in those unique situations where you just wanted to call an attorney to find out if you're right or wrong or what your legal rights are? But every time you think about calling an attorney, what do you think about first? That's right. Who do you call and how much will it cost? Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution. With a nationwide network of 6,900 attorneys who average over 19 years of experience, Legal Shield's law firms take over 40,000 calls per week helping their members. For less than $20 per month, you can have access to Legal Shield on everything from the trivial to the traumatic. Let Legal Shield stand up for your rights at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. Or call 855-340-SAVE. 855-340-7283. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow Night Owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com. On the Tech Night Out Live, we're discussing the Department of Justice's request for remedies against Apple after Apple lost their case in an ebook price fixing antitrust lawsuit. So, of course, in the real world, we can't have Nathan Lane being the person who works at Apple looking over their books. He's busy, I hear. I understand he's busy. He's probably making more money <laughs> as an actor and a stage actor. So, they're going to have to hire somebody who's going to basically stand over them watching everything they do. Yeah. To me, that sounds a little draconian, to put it mildly. Yes. Well, there's, there's a third aspect to the proposed final judgment, which is that Apple must not discriminate against rival ebook apps. In particular, it must allow rivals to include purchasing links to their own stores within their ebook apps. So, you may remember when the App Store first opened, if you were Amazon, you had a Kindle app, you could have a buy button in there. People could go and buy books directly in the Kindle app. When Apple, it's like, I forget exactly when this happened, but at some point, Apple changed the way their in-app purchasing rules uh, worked and said, okay, if you want a, a customer to buy anything within an app, it's got to go through Apple and you got to pay us 30%. So basically, Apple saying, we're enabling this sale, but it's our platform, 
that's going to cost you 30%. So that's their ransom. That's their yeah, that's their their fee for making sure that, you know, you you know they get their 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 little bit. Keep in mind that um, if you're Amazon, you're not paying 30% to nobody. Pretty much everyone immediately dropped in app purchasing because it, if you're losing 30% as a, if you're already a retailer and you're losing 30%, you're making nothing. This has had the result of making it so the iBooks app, which you can buy directly from on the iPad, is an easier and better user experience than the Kindle app or the Nook app or the Kobo app or whatever other ebook app you might want. And so the DOJ is saying, okay, we've got big, bad, dominant Apple here with this, you know, horrible requirement. And so we're going to prevent them from doing that. Needless to say, you could kind of, reading between the legal lines, you could kind of see the steam coming out of Apple's ears. Okay, so basically we look at Tim Cook and we see his ears and he's always looks, you know, very calm. He's a very calm kind of guy. And now we see him walking with steam coming out of his ears. <laughs> I think he's one of those choo-choo And blood too. coming out of his eyes or something. It's pretty bad. So Apple is furious about this. And, and then frankly, when it came down to the question of whether or not they had violated antitrust law, you know, I think the judge made a pretty good case. This was something where a lot of thought was put into it, whether or not Apple intended to do this. They certainly made intentional decisions that resulted in this, in this scenario. The scenario did have the effect that, that ebook prices went up, and when it was rectified, ebook prices went back down. So clear, that's one thing. So the big issue here is that they're looking not so much at the nuts and bolts, which can be disputed, but the end result means that you pay more for an ebook, and that obviously disenfranchised the customer because they couldn't buy it cheaper anymore. You couldn't. It, the ebook prices went up, but it was also a situation where Apple's contracts resulted in a scenario where no one could compete on price in the entire market because they required not in so much language, but by the agreement that they, they, they came to with the publishers, this combination of agency pricing, where the publisher set the price and Apple gets 30%, the combination of that and the most favored nation clause, so Apple could meet any lower price, and the price caps that, that they, Apple set. So the publishers couldn't raise prices radically and then charge, charge, you know, charge, charge ridiculous prices. What this meant was the publishers then had no choice but to go to every other ebook retailer and say, you've got to agree to agency pricing too, because otherwise you'll undercut Apple and Apple will match that price and we'll be just soaked on the price every time. You know, let's look at the matters of the small publisher here, because obviously we have these big publishing conglomerates. They're trying to struggle in a day where print books are not selling as well, so they're going digital and they're trying to cope with it. And this is affecting the entire print industry. Look what happened, for example, with Jeff Bezos buys the Washington Post because they're trying to cope. Now you're the little tiny guy and you have, instead of thousands of titles, you have a few dozen, whatever. How do you work in this environment? How does all this stuff affect Take Control Books? Honestly, it doesn't really. The simple fact of the matter is that none of the things that Apple or the publishers were forced to do changed anything in how our business 
interacts with those entities. Just because Apple, you know, had to re- renegotiate its agreements with the publishers, or rather, the publishers had to renegotiate the agreements with Apple as part of their settlements, didn't change how Apple did uh, their agreements with any other publishers. But wouldn't that be a remedy enough? Once the contracts are changed, that's it. Why does the Department of Justice demand more? Precisely. And that's one of the big things that Apple is saying. Keep in mind, there's something to be said here. I'm taking Apple's word for it in this, but they cite sources, so I'm not going to disagree with them, which is that the point of remedies in antitrust cases is not punishment. You're not trying to you know, toss Apple in jail because they've done something wrong and need to learn from their mistakes or something. You're not going to rehabilitate them. What you're trying to do with antitrust remedies is you're trying to rectify the situation. You're trying to make sure that I believe the term is unrestrained competition can once again take place. You're trying for what's called restitution. So if prices were higher, someone's got to pay the money to, in essence, the people who were harmed by that, the people who bought books. Now, DOJ actually said nothing um, about restitution in their proposed final judgment. But the things they're trying for really don't affect the ebook market in a positive fashion because the big five publishers who were also at fault here already were forced to renegotiate. So the ebook industry and being forced to renegotiate, all of the other thing, bad things that happened immediately stopped happening. Prices went back down. You know, uh, Amazon once again got the ability to price however they wanted. That Those sort of things became possible. So none of the stuff that's being proposed here for Apple is going to change the, the competitive landscape of the ebook world. That's the problem, and that's why Apple is saying that these things are draconian and punitive, which are the actual terms they use. Um, not to mention, so that's, that's one issue. The other big issue is that by forcing Apple to change their policies surrounding the App Store, the DOJ is basically saying this other business within Apple, which was not at question in the case, was not even discussed in the case, that somehow Apple has to make changes in their app store business because of the things they did wrong in the iBook store situation? That doesn't make any sense. Well, this makes a lot of sense, and we'll let you hear it, and then we'll have more of Adam Inks, tidbits, and take control books. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best. Available now. 
For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. For over five years, you've been hearing about the Berkey guy, so you may know a few things about him. For example, you are well aware of the superior quality and effectiveness of Berkey water filters and accessories. But did you know the Berkeys have had independent lab tests done to prove just how effective they are? It's true, and he can email you the test results. Just visit GoBerkey.com. You may also know that the Berkey guy has helped tens of thousands of people get better prepared. Now here's something you may not know. GoBerkey.com has amazing specials and deals all the time on a wide variety of survival and preparedness products. Most ready to ship same day. Visit the Berkey guy at GoBerkey.com and be sure to click the red Products on Sale Now button. You can always call toll-free 877-886-3653. Again, that's 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com, home of the Berkey guy. Are you still a traditional smoker? Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by LeSig. Imagine no ashes, stains, nasty smell, or coughing and hacking. With LeSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replaceable cartridge, you'll get all the benefits and satisfaction of smoking without the hazards. Choose your taste from a wide variety of our new American-made vaporian e-liquids at LeSig.com. And LeSig smokes the competition by serving thousands of worldwide customers with real people customer service fast free same day shipping and a 30 day warranty and satisfaction guarantee so are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle then call 870-518-4307 that's 870-518-4307 or visit lesig.com spelled l-e-c-i-g.com lesig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker Weakened by GMOs, stressed out about money, and blasted by the electric environment. Hi, I'm Pastor Jenny, and that was the state I was in back in 2010. Then I learned about RNA drops. I learned that 97% of my DNA that scientists have called junk is actually packed with millions of gene switches that play a critical role in controlling how my cells, organs, and other tissues behave. I learned I don't have to put up with disease decay or decline like I'd been conditioned to believe. I began taking RNA Drops, a 100% natural formula designed to turn on those switches and provide me with amazing health and joy. Learn more about RNA Drops and order a free sample today. Visit rnafreesample.com. That's rnafreesample.com. Or call toll-free 888-577-3703. Pay only shipping and handling for a free 30-day supply of RNA drops. Get the information you need and the health you want at rnafreesample.com. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. On the Tech Night Out Live, we're trying to make sense with Adam Inkst of the Department of Justice versus Apple. The Department of Justice, therefore, in their demands for remedies, is looking at all aspects of Apple's business, even the sections that didn't have anything whatever to do with this case. This is all about ebooks. It's not about what Apple does with motion picture companies or music companies or anything else. That's absolutely correct. And 
it's one of those situations where the judge was pretty clear to separate out what was at stake and what was at, at, in you know relevant to the case in the opinion and so you know this whole bit with apple not allowing in-app purchases that didn't come up that's not that's not that was not part of the case and so i think the the term i used in the article is that doj is overreaching you and think that maybe they're just taking advantage of the situation to get as much as they can, knowing in the end they're not going to get everything, but the judge might open it up a bit. That's that's my feeling. That is exactly my feeling. That basically, if they ask for the sun, the sky, and the moon, you know, maybe they'll get a small asteroid. Because I think the ju- I mean, again, it's hey, I, I, I've consulted with an attorney who is familiar with antitrust law, and after asking sort of what comes next. I was just looking for legal process questions. I basically uh, came to the conclusion of there's no way to predict what comes next, that there's all this legal mumbo-jumbo about one apple would have to do what, and because we're not actually at final judgment yet, this and that and the other thing. So I cannot even say what's going to be the next step um, because there's a lot of things that are likely happening behind the scenes that will determine what the next thing in public ha- is. So we can't even predict what the judge is going to do. I have a stupid question to ask, okay? <laughs> As opposed to any other stupid question, that is, this was a trial before a judge. Could Apple have said, no, we want a jury? I do not know the answer to that. That is a, you know, that is one of those sort of legal things. I don't believe so at this level, but I don't really know. This is an antitrust case. This is not a, you know, this is not sort of your normal criminal or civil grand jury kind of case. So, uh, but again, I don't know. Not a lawyer. All right. So what happens next here is that the second trial will be held to determine remedies. Now, Apple could also be asked to pay a fine, right? I presume so. Um, again, not a fine so much. So what this would in, entail would be a calculation of how how much ebook prices went up and who actually bought ebooks during that time and some kind of payment to those people based on that. So I forget, we just got some checks, uh, both Tanya and I did, for like $8.23, and I forget the specifics, but it was something along those lines that it was, you know, some company that we'd done business with had been found guilty of doing something wrong, and therefore everyone they'd done business with, oh, I think it had to do with international credit card transaction fees or rates, and we had traveled abroad in how whatever years this took place. And so, you know, three years later, we get a check for $8.23. And I, so beat, you too. I beat you, by the way. I got a check for $30, Ooh. payable through U.S. Bank, but it was about some offense committed during the time that I had a checking account at Chase Bank. <laughs> now, I'm mentioning Chase Bank now because if you want to hack it, that account is long since gone. But definitely they charge fees they were not supposed to charge. There was some kind of class action suit. And as a result, I get a check for $30 and change at a different bank. 
Obviously, yes. they didn't want that check payable at a bank that <laughs> was involved in the lawsuit. So that's what happened. So what we could see here is that maybe in theory then, if there's a financial remedy, one day you wake up and you've got an Apple gift card. And the gift card yes. says, well, you overpaid $6 on your ebook purchases, so now you have $6. Absolutely. It could be something entirely along those lines. And keep in mind for the individuals, you know, it's likely to be a couple of bucks. Um, and when you look at the amount the publishers paid in aggregate, which was $166 million, that's what, 1% of what Apple has in cash? Apple can pay this without even blinking. It's so, a matter, though, of not setting the precedent so they're precise. going to fight it. Now, it goes to an appeals court. Now, uh, it, well, that's what we think. We but again, think Apple hasn't actually filed the appeal yet, as far as I can find out. And there, are, because final judgment hasn't happened, Apple has a certain amount of time after final judgment to file. So, the damages trial, which is scheduled for August 9th, very well could start and take place before Apple files for an appeal. They have 30 days from final judgment. So basically what Apple can do is delay it as much as possible. So it is filed on the 30th day. Then the appeals court has their option to take whatever time they require. If Apple doesn't get the remedy they want or the Department of Justice doesn't get the remedy they want, they can go to the U.S. Supreme Court. Yes. And it's not, again, not cut and dried. If the Damage trial for damages happens, and a final judgment is set down. Apple has to do X, Y, and Z. Even if Apple appeals, it is not guaranteed that they that order for X, Y, and Z will be stayed. The more I looked into this um, uh, with my attorney friend, um, the more it became clear that it was simply not predictable. That what could happen depended on a huge number a huge number of variables in terms of how apple acted how how the plaintiffs acted how the judge chose to deal with it how the the second circuit court of appeals chose to accept the case so um there's a certain level of we're just going to have to wait and see is it possible the Department of Justice is being so strong-armed because they hope eventually to rope apple in and that apple will sit down with them and say okay let's make a deal I I don't think so. I don't know that, but I don't think so. I think if Apple was going to make a deal, they would have done so before this point. The ship has sailed. The ship has probably sailed on that. And and it just and I say that in part simply because of the language that Apple has been using where Apple in essence refuses to acknowledge they did anything wrong at all ever. And all right. Now, another development the publishers who made the deal with the Department of Justice, they're saying that what they're asking is too much. Yes. The publishers have now filed a motion in this case saying, in essence, that the proposed final judgment would harm them because it would throw out their existing agreements with Apple, which, again, were renegotiated once already to be lawful, and Two, it would hurt Apple's ability to discount books and would therefore result in fewer sales through the iBookstore, which would hurt the publishers and the ebook industry in general. So, you know, I'm not 
entirely surprised the publishers are siding with Apple on this. I mean, they were on Apple's side from the very beginning. But it is interesting that they are squawking now saying, you know, look, you've already hurt us once. You know, we've, we've, we've done our time in essence. And not that they have because their time will last for another year or two in various restri- restrictions they agreed to. But, you know, I don't see that Apple is going to – that these, these proposed judgments against Apple, remedies against Apple, would help the ebook industry. And the publishers are saying pretty clearly it's going to hurt the ebook industry. So why would we want to do that? Maybe Jeff Bezos has been contributing to the right – candidates in washington you never know because this benefits amazon doesn't it we'll ask that question again in our next segment and have adam inks response i'm gene steinberg you're in the tech night out live america's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade we are The GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com Ceramic Body Armor is rated to stop six hits. But what about the seventh? Unlike Ceramic or Kevlar, Infidel Body Armor is proven to take hit after hit, and it just won't quit. Reasonably priced and designed for the smart civilian prepper, Infidel stops hundreds of hits from small arms to high-powered rifles. That means safety and peace of mind. Buy yours at InfidelBodyArmor.com. Spelled I-N-F-I-D-E-L BodyArmor.com. Infidel Body Armor just won't quit. Raising your own chickens for food is great, but how will you get them ready for the dinner table? Do it the fast and easy way with a power plucker from powerplucker.com. The power plucker is a simple attachment that works with a power drill and removes feathers in a flash. Whether you're a homesteader or a bird hunter, you'll save time and money, and we guarantee you'll love it. Order right now at powerplucker.com and receive free shipping. Powerplucker.com, the only drill-powered poultry plucker. Time and time again. You need to come here and help us. We need assistance. Please. Those we should be able to depend on let us down. Federal and state and local officials saying help is on the way. Will the folks here in Bell Harbor say show me? Don't depend on the government to save you. Take action now so that you're prepared for the next disaster with MyPatriotSupply.com. Get the best prices on storable food, non-GMO seeds, 
water filtration devices, home canning equipment, survival and self-reliance books, and more at MyPatriotSupply.com. Call 866-229-0927. We are hurting down here, and we need help immediately. Before it's time to survive, it's time to prepare. MyPatriotSupply.com. MyPatriotSupply.com. Ouch! My back is out again! Hi, Dr. Ortman with Wellspring Spinal Care. If you're experiencing neck, mid, or lower back pain, this information is for you. One of the complaints that I hear is patients receive their typical adjustment, only having to repeat them as the pain returns. Putting the bones back in place is only half of the battle. At Wellspring Spinal Care, we have the entire solution. We use the NUCA approach, utilizing three-dimensional x-rays and gentle touch technology to deliver specific correction. We then Design a custom nutritional supplement program which provides essential nutrients targeting the areas of concern. With a NUCA approach and proper nutrition, you'll be on your way to a faster and more permanent recovery. To get you on the road to wellness, visit drortman.com. That's Dr. O R T M A N.com. Or call us today, 952-303-9124. That's 952-303-9124. Wellspring Spinal Care, Chiropractic Done Right. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. On the Tech Night Owl Live, we have an mix of tidbits and take control books discussing Apple versus the Department of Justice over ebook price fixing. So, in all, though, the number one vendor of ebooks was and continues to be Amazon. Yes. And this agreement was done to fight Amazon's dominance, but in the end, it leaves Amazon dominant. Well, okay. There's two things, and it's very important to separate these. What the Apple and the publishers did was indeed intended to fight Amazon's dominance, and that's not inherently a bad thing. Unfortunately, they did so in a way that violates the law of the land. So even if your intent is good, even if you're speeding because your wife is pregnant and you're taking her to the hospital, you can still get a speeding ticket. You're still breaking the law, um, even if you're doing something for the quote-unquote right reasons. Um, in her opinion, Judge Cote is very clear about how Amazon's behavior may have been bad, but that is not at issue in the case. However, that's in the case. So Apple's guilty. End of question. Now we get into the question of the remedies, and here's where it becomes fuzzier, because the remedies are indeed designed to promote competition, unrestrained competition in the ebook market. And so if that's the goal, then it would seem unreasonable to my mind to do things that basically make, you know, hand, you know, that hamstring one of Amazon's primary competitors. So, again, we get back to the question of what's the goal of antitrust law? If it's to remedy the situation and the situation is remedied, you're not trying to punish the wrongdoer. That's not the goal. And so, 
it's a very funny situation because I don't sort of want I don't I sort of want to say yeah Apple was wrong they broke the law and yes if you can prove some level of financial damage that happened to individuals then yes bill Apple for it no question about that but I'm just not seeing how any of these things do anything but hand Amazon more of the market and that does not seem to me to be the goal of the, the remedies. So does the Department of Justice look into Amazon, see if they are doing something wrong? Well, one presumes they have or certainly should be. Um, but again, separate situation. Uh, your comment about lobbying, interestingly, though, someone made, that, made this comment on the article and I went and looked it up. At least in aggregate, Apple and Amazon spend about the same amount, roughly a couple million dollars a year on lobbying. So, you know, there's no – I mean, Amazon might be targeting their money a little differently or different or better. But the simple fact of the matter is that, that it's not as though one of them is buying favors in government that the other one isn't, at least at a raw financial level. But that's Google, Apple. The Apple, of course, is the king of the world and therefore they become most vulnerable to – stuff like this because they are perceived as being maybe too large by some people. Now, imagine the size of a company that sells satellite TV, like Dish Network. You know, they're making, what, a few billion dollars a quarter. And it's, a, you know, one of the largest providers of content in the country. Apple in the same quarter makes, what, 10, 15, 20 times more money Apple could buy out Dish Network or DirecTV tomorrow with spare cash and own the entire satellite TV industry. The the other uh, number I've heard that puts it in context is that Apple made more last quarter than Google and Microsoft and Facebook and probably an Amazon, because I think they lost money, <laughs> combined. Well, Amazon never makes a lot of money. No, Amazon, Amazon, what Amazon does is they make a little bit which means they pay a small tax bill, and everything else is thrown back into the business or the pad executive salary, something like that. Yeah, I don't think it's executive salaries, although Bezos is certainly worth enough that he can spend $250 million in cash on the Washington Post. I think that's but, considered to be, what, a fraction, uh, single oh, yeah. digits of his total fortune? But, uh, yeah, but nonetheless, I think there's Amazon. Amazon is a very, very interesting company. And... They and Bezos is a very smart guy and has made it very clear that he's looking to the long term. And so investors seem to have bought that. So the fact that Amazon either makes very little money or, in fact, loses money um, most of the time isn't actually a concern that they are not worried about that because they believe Amazon is going to be so big and so dominant in the future that eventually they'll make the money back. And, you know, whether or not that's the case, obviously, no one knows. But, you know, they're doing a pretty good job of, uh, of, of, of it so far. But they're not losing money. They have cash in the bank. The business is growing. They're hiring people. So does it oh. really matter in the end if they don't show huge profits? Yeah, very much not. I mean, as I said, it's just a different game, that they're not playing the quarterly short-term Wall Street game, and they're getting away with it. Apple, on the other hand, can't get away with it. Apple can't get away with it because they're actually making too much money. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Even as they are considered beleaguered, 
Beleaguered Apple. Oh, gee, Apple's a beleaguered company. Yeah, it's making money term- hand over fist. Maybe a little less money hand over fist than the previous fist, but there you go. So where does this end up? Obviously, Apple may still have to accept the remedies because yes. of the nature of the beast. Realistically, my take is that Apple is going to fight tooth and nail to avoid as many of these things as they can for the simple reason that, A, again, PR. They don't want to look like they did anything wrong, and the less that they can do that makes them look like they did something wrong, the better. Um, and they don't want this, these compliance officers. And they don't want to have to carve out this weird little exception for like five apps that can do in-app purchasing without paying Apple. Um, although, man, if, if the publishers get that, we're going to get an app that's going to do in-app publishing to our website like that. <laughs> in fact, um, it's probably already being developed. It's <laughs> in the back door and you just push the switch. So, uh, so in any event, so Apple doesn't want any of this to happen. You know, my take is that I don't believe that any of this would actually, you know, prevent Apple from doing what Apple does best, which is make innovative products and sell them. And, you know, the Apple's at a, Apple's at a size now where everything they do is suspect anyway. And frankly, they probably should have been paying closer attention. That, you know, at the size they're at, when you're talking with the big six publishers, gee, don't you think antitrust should be, you know, a concern? You know, Um, Apple, I see, I think, still thinks of itself as a small, scrapping, upstart, a little scrappy upstart. And therefore, they don't realize they're at the top of the heap and every little thing they do is being analyzed. They're kind of getting that impression already because of all the crazy hits the stock price took. Yes. I think you were absolutely correct in that, that Apple simply does not see itself as this 800-pound gorilla. And so, you know, and, 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 and part of that is that Apple sees itself, and this is, this is not a bad thing, as doing good stuff, as helping people, as making people's lives better, at producing products that people love. So what could possibly be bad in that? And, and so Apple just doesn't have this, this, this self-perception that something the company could do would be harmful. And problem is that once you're playing in markets at this level, yeah, you can step on people accidentally. You can step on whole markets accidentally. You're that big. And you don't notice because you're doing great stuff. But all the little people who you stepped on are not so happy about this. And that's what the, the Justice, Department of Justice in the States said. And that's why they were frankly right to file suit against Apple and why, again, why I'm not really quibbling with the judge's decision. Apple did something wrong here. But how you fix that is a different story entirely. And that could start a whole other discussion and we still have to see how the judge is going to rule. Now, this is going to start before you people hear this show, so we'll have a follow-up with Adam once some judgments (laughs) are made and once some decisions are made. I have one other big issue to bring up with you. 
in the news this past weekend. We'll get into that in our next segment. Adam Inks of Tidbits and Take Control Books. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Amino acids are the building blocks of proteins. Amino acids have to be delivered to your body in the shape that nature gave them if they are to be used to create new proteins in your body. Just like a bricklayer cannot use bent or twisted bricks to build a brick wall, so too your body cannot use bent or twisted amino acids to build new proteins. Giving your body an undamaged amino acid food can make a huge difference in your health. One World Way is an undamaged amino acid food unlike any other. You see, heating bends and twists amino acids, and all whey protein powders we've investigated and most proteins you consume are heated. With our True Cool process, you now have a choice with One World Whey. My name is Daniel. I'm 34 years old. When I started using One World Whey, I weighed 228 pounds. Now, after two and a half months, I weigh 182 pounds. This is my ideal weight. I've noticed an increase in stamina, rate of recovery from workouts, and an increase in my potency. Call 888-988-3325 or visit OneWorldWay.com. Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. On the Tech Night Owl Live, one more segment with our friend Adam Inks. A little bit later, we'll be hearing from Quark Incorporated about Quark Express 10, the latest version of their desktop publishing application, and a little bit later, Brian Chaffin of the Mac Observer, and maybe even the fake Steve Ballmer. I know Adam's wondering what I'm talking about, but that's okay, <laughs> so am I. All right, so this weekend comes news that a representative of the Obama administration overturned an ITC, International Trade Commission, ruling that could have banned the sale of some of Apple's iPhones, the iPhone 4, because allegedly it infringed on some kind of wireless baseband patent from Samsung. Interesting. What's your take on that? Yeah, it's it's an interesting situation, and, and it does fall somewhat outside my, my areas of expertise. Um, I, I think the the way the patent world works is broken beyond belief. And so 
it's impossible to know without a whole lot more research and probably expert knowledge whether or not the uh, the patent that Apple violated was sort of again an intentional violation where they said hey let's let's we're going to do this because we know that Samsung can do it and we're going to do it better than them and we're going to steal their code and you know whether or not it was that or if like so many patents it was just a little ridiculous because everyone does it this way and has forever and the patent shows up later and suddenly people are infringing and etc cetera, etc cetera. so one now, way or my another, understanding of the way it worked out here is that this patent involves the baseband chip, a communications chip, that's in the iPhone. And this particular one licensed technology from Samsung for a variety of industry standard functions. Now, supposedly here, Apple pays the manufacturer for the chip, which I assume includes the cost of buying the rights, because how else could they sell the chip? But then it's Samsung goes back and says, okay, Apple, you're using this chip, which includes these licenses, these patents that we own. Therefore, you owe us money. Isn't that like double dipping? I mean, if you pay for a part, you pay for a part, you assume that if (laughs) to produce that part, they've got licensed technology, they did that. It's kind of like I buy a car and then I get a letter in the email saying, Okay, now you owe us seven hundred fifty dollars because we own the patent for your automatic transmission. Remember Lodsys? Yes, they're still around, and they're saying exactly the same thing. That even though Apple has a patent on the in-app purchase technique, Lodsys is claiming that that doesn't transfer through. Even though Apple explicitly says it does transfer through, and they're going after developers. And I, you know, I don't, I don't know what's changed in that in the last few months. Um, but the simple fact is that lawyers can claim anything they want, and if they can make a sufficiently compelling case for it, things can happen, like this injunction. Okay, but this is Samsung, and yep. Samsung gets this, and of course. They saw the light of day and they overturned it. Does that affect other patent lawsuits? Because I gather that judges are starting to get pretty crazy about this thing. They probably feel it's just wasting the court's time. And they'd rather have the companies play nice and settle amongst each other. It's wasting everyone's time. Right. They'd rather have them just settle these claims. You know, if you have a problem with money, work it out amongst yourselves. Do not annoy the courts. Federal judges especially are overworked. There aren't enough of them. There are so many judges that need to be appointed and aren't. They don't need to deal with this. They need to deal with important stuff. But the problem is, is that this is the way patent stuff usually works. Patents are usually a game of war. You know, the card game? So two companies get together, they sit down at a table, and they say, I've got this patent here. And the person says, okay, I got this patent here. And they basically pile them up and then see who's ahead. And then one company is not ahead, pays some money. And that's, that's traditionally the way this stuff works. And, and then they cross-license everything. And the reason why they do that is exactly what you say, that it's nuts to take this stuff to a lawsuit each time. The problem is that Apple and Samsung are beyond that point, that they are competing too directly, and it is potentially too useful to Samsung to get an injunction against Apple bringing, what is it, the iPhone and iPhone 4 and a fourth generation iPod Touch, I forget if that one was involved, um, into the U.S. And, and so this is all, it's all legal posturing. There's, nothing, there's no reality here. Um, it's just that Apple and Samsung 
are going after each other in every imaginable way and anything they can do to the other company to slow down or put the other put the other one in a in a lesser con- competitive situation they're going to do if i remember right apple has done the exact same thing with samsung they've gotten injunctions against samsung products in various various countries because of claims that samsung violated apple patents and so in essence what we're seeing is the game of war turning into something where the police are getting called. Now, ideally, Apple and Samsung need to work it out because Samsung's selling Apple billions of dollars worth of parts. Even after reports arose that Apple was buying less stuff from Samsung, they're still buying stuff from Samsung. (laughs) At the same time, they're going into courts and trade commissions around the world suing each other. You know, there was a word that Joan Rivers used to use, actually a phrase, it's, of course, famous comedian. Grow up. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think it's not a matter of grown up, growing up. It's a matter of we have to change the legal system under which they are basing all of this nonsense. That as long as this is a tool in a competitive situation, this is a weapon in a in a in a war. And, it is, and yes, it's amazing that these companies can buy products from one another on the one hand um, and on the other hand be trying to prevent the other company from selling the products they make with those same products. It's crazy. But that's the reality of the situation. And as long as we have patent law being as broken as it is, we are going to be in that situation. And the companies even realize this. All the big companies are actually trying to get patent law change because they're wasting a vast amount of time and money on it they, they actually did that. change it but not enough evidently oh it's got to, it's got to change in a big big way so that we stop getting these these frivolous patent lawsuits and so the companies stop being in in this situation where they can they can be constantly you know sniping at each other um and then, again, as you say, you know, taking up time and time and energy on the courts every which way. So, you know, yeah, Apple probably did violate Samsung's patent. Was it a decent patent? Who knows? Um, did Samsung violate Apple patents? Probably. You know, everyone's going to do that because the whole thing is so completely messed up. You basically cannot build a product without stepping on someone. And when someone owns a patent and they want to sell the rights, they're going to be as greedy as possible, even if it's an industry standard patent. And I kind of think the resolution for an industry standard patent, instead of having each company negotiate separately, all they do is they have a special commission, the FRAND commission, which has this roster of patents, and they have a standard fee that applies to everyone. They pay it, they take their 5%, give it to the companies, and that's the end of it. Now this nonsense. Yep, it could be rationalized very easily, but it would take some significant political will to do it. And I don't know if we see politicians having that will regardless. Political right. will? Are you crazy? <laughs> there is no such thing. You're coming up with this paranormal nonsense about political will. The only political will you'll have is whether the guy's name is Will. And even then, you have no idea what he's going to do. Adam Inkst, please tell our listeners where we can find more of your stuff. Well, you can find 
all of these articles about the Apple ebook price fixing case at tidbits.com. And if you want to see the kind of thing we do on the more practical bent, uh, you can check out takecontrolbooks.com where we're actually having a 50% off sale for the next week on all our ebooks. Wow. You heard it here first because I actually haven't told anyone else yet. Wow, that sounds great. You know, just stock up on your books there. Adam Inkst, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on the Tech Night Owl Live. Anytime, Gene. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Gold. If you listen to the radio, watch TV, or surf the net, you're hearing about gold. Eventually you will ask yourself, is gold right for me? The answer might surprise you. We protect ourselves and our families from many things. Do you have medical insurance? Is your home insured? Do you carry life insurance? How about financial insurance? If you own gold, then the answer is yes. If you don't own gold, the question is why don't you have financial insurance? We put our faith in things we trust. Do you trust the dollar? Do you trust the economy? Do you trust the government? Gold has always been something you can trust. For thousands of years, people have put their faith in gold. Where will you put your faith? Now is the time to protect yourself and your family. Call Midas Resources today at 1-800-686-2237, extension 242. 1-800-686-2237, extension 242. And ask for Jim Parker. Let me help you get started today. 1-800-686-2237, extension 242. There is a false sense of security that the greatest economic crash since the Great Depression is over. But unemployment is still at a 20-year high, and until Americans are working again, the economy has not recovered. What is the smartest investment you can make? It's food. Having a supply of eFoods Direct 25-year shelf-life food is your best investment for the troubled times today and the future. For 32 years, the folks at eFoods Direct have helped thousands take the trouble out of troubled times. So to celebrate our 32-year anniversary, get the best insurance possible with a special one-time offer. A two-month food supply for only $320 and free shipping. That's 352 servings of our newest and most popular award-winning recipes at less than a dollar per serving. The 25-year shelf life allows you to lock your food cost against inflation. Call 800-409-5633 or go to eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex. The two-month supply is only available for a limited time. Call 800-409-5633 or go to eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex. 
For centuries, silver has been used as a powerful natural antibiotic. And as a listener to this station, you probably already know the benefits of using colloidal silver. With so many websites to choose from, finding a reputable patriotic company with great products at affordable prices can be a difficult task. Introducing UtopiaSilver.com. UtopiaSilver.com carries the best, most effective, and most affordable colloidal silver and colloidal gold products in the industry. UtopiaSilver.com also carries products to fit your lifestyle, including weight loss, immune system defense, cleanses, herbs, joint and bone care, and much more. First-time customers using promo code GCN50 will receive 50% off all colloidal products. Visit us today at Utopia Silver. That's U-T-O-P-I-A Silver. UtopiaSilver.com or call 888-213-4338. That's 888-213-4338. UtopiaSilver.com. Taking back America's health care one American at a time. We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowl.com slash radio. That's technightowl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes. Gavin Drake, Vice President of Marketing for Quark Incorporated, joins us. Of course, Quark Express is an app I've been using probably a lot longer than he's been with that company since the late 1980s. So uh, I have some familiarity no, with it. No question, it's definitely longer than I've been with the company. But not by that much. <laughs> <laughs> You've been there a while. Okay. So starting at the beginning, for those of you who are wondering what the heck we're talking about on the Tech Night Out Live, and we'll get into more heavy-duty stuff in a moment. Tell our listeners a little bit about the history of Quark Express. Hey, thanks, Gene, and thank you, obviously, for inviting us to be on the show. Yeah, I will give you a very quick potted history. Um, Quark Express has been around now for more than 25 years, so there aren't probably that many applications that are still in market leadership positions that have been around in the market for that kind of time. So as a company and obviously as an application, uh, Quark Express has evolved substantially over that time. As a company, we've branched out into new areas beyond just uh, traditional publishing and design and layout, where we're working now in financial services, in government and manufacturing, helping a lot of larger companies automate their publishing process um, from in the intelligence community through to well-known global financial services companies. Wait a uh, minute. The intelligence community? Tell me the more. The in- intelligence community. So for us, we, we have solutions that really take you through the whole content process from content creation and authoring right through to output to the latest digital devices. I know that after 9-11, one of the biggest failings that was found in the intelligence community was a lot of the information existed, but no one was able to successfully join up the dots. And one of the reasons they couldn't join up the dots is there wasn't a great deal of intelligence around how content was structured. And, and we're not going to say that government intelligence agencies is an oxymoron we are not going to say that but i, I just did to you <laughs> so they, see, they're going to tap my phone <laughs> i'm sure they already are 
Yeah, we have a tool called Quark XML Author, and it's uh, a plugin for Microsoft Word. And what it enables um, subject matter experts like intelligence analysts to do is to create content in Word. But behind the scenes, what we're doing is creating structured XML content. And we're creating that in the government XML standards and adding in a lot of metadata in terms of security clearance and, and other information that needs to be associated with that content. So that means that once an intelligence agency authors content, it can get submitted to the National Library of Intelligence and um, the clever systems behind the scenes can start to join the dots on that content. So if I'm a junior level analyst, and obviously there's that's a pretty hot subject now in terms of information leakage, I have access to one view of, of the intelligence data, but that daily report for the president would be a different view of that data. So our tools are, are pretty almost the de facto standard in the US intelligence community when it comes to authoring intelligence content. So that's probably something that's not very much not very well known in terms of one of the areas that we branched into. But for us, that's just publishing. It may be a different kind of content, but it's all about how do I create content and publish it more efficiently and effectively. But can you confirm or deny that President Obama uses Quark Express? I have no idea, but that seems highly unlikely. (laughs) He uses an iPad. We know that. So we have to go. Maybe maybe he uses DesignPad, which is one of our apps. Sure. Well, the point being here is that in the old days for desktop publishing, we use this to create documents for books, for newspapers, for magazines. And now it's really gone way, way beyond that, expanded into a lot of other arena. Now, how does a company that has been so steeped in the traditional print market move online? How does it happen? Well, we, we saw this, um, in fact, when we sort of launched what we're doing right now with dynamic publishing, we launched that back in, I guess, 2008 or prior, prior to that, we started working on it, which, if you can believe, was before the advent of the iPhone or the iPad, we were starting to preach the message that you needed to create content in, in content components, structure it, and be able to automate that to multiple channels. Well, that kind of seems obvious now when you look at a market that's dominated by smartphones and tablets. But when we started that process way back when, that wasn't the case. So when I look at Quark Express, even back in Quark Express version 4, which I guess was around 2002, 2003, we'd already introduced concepts like shared content and layout spaces, where we were starting to restructure the application to support not just print layouts, but support content that was independent of design and layout that you might be reusing in different media. So... That's work, engineering work that's been going on technology-wise at Quark for a number of years now. Okay, so you're now up to Quark Express version 10. So I started using it at version 2-something. So now you're up to version 10. So what are you offering over the previous versions? What are the new things all about? I think you identified a valid point, which is depending on which version a customer is on, they're going to have different views of how they see Quark Express quite often. People may be on those older versions and don't realize that some of the things that we didn't have back in you know, the early 2000s are features that have been in Quark Express for a long time, like transparency that we added in into version 7 and uh, Unicode and a, a whole load of other functionality that has been subsequently added to the software. I'll talk more specifically to what's changed between 9 and 10 rather than those other versions, but we have got a pretty comprehensive version comparison chart on our website that people can have a look at if they are on an older version. One of the big things that we've done in Quark Express 10 is 
really we we talk about it being new inside and out so we've done a, a huge engineering effort to modernize the application and that's something that we did start back with version 7 and we we did more work in version 8 and version 9 but in version 10 firstly we've moved it from a carbon to a cocoa application on the mac platform explain been- to our listeners what that means because we're talking of programming languages here and for many people they think we're talking greek or russian yeah. or something yeah, absolutely. Carbon was the original API for Mac OS X or the previous API for Mac OS X. Cocoa is the current one. So it's a change in programming language, although the tool sets are still the same. But if you're a, a big application that's been around for 25 years, that represents a pretty substantial change to the application to move from Carbon to Cocoa. And that that's one of the reasons that even Apple themselves took quite a few years before they moved iTunes across from Carbon to Cocoa and some of the other applications. We knew that we wanted to do that, one, because we wanted to be on the most modern API set for Mac OS X, but two, because there are a lot of features and functions that Apple now only make available to the, the Cocoa API that Quark Express users haven't been able to benefit from. That's involved updating around a half a million lines of code in the application, and we've added in a, another 350,000 lines of code We've had to redo pretty much every user interface aspect within the the application. So that's about 500 plus dialogues that we've had to do around 1200 icons. So a large undertaking in order to, to significantly modernize the application and move it to that new Cocoa API. Customers probably won't be too concerned about what we've been doing under the hood. They're more interested in in what the outcome of that is for them in terms of functionality, I would think. All right. So we have Gavin Drake joining us. He's the Vice President for Marketing for Quark Incorporated, and their flagship product is Quark Express, version 10 coming out. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Alabama, it's coming, and it's the event you and your family will not want to miss. The Southern Preppers Convention and Green Living Expo, Saturday and Sunday, September 7th and 8th, at the newly renovated Oxford Civic Center in Oxford, Alabama, where admission is totally free. There's something for everyone. Free classes and seminars on topics like food preparation, food harvesting, and food preservation. Free giveaways every 30 minutes. You could win seed kits, food, doTERRA oil, starter kits, water filters, and more, including a year's supply of 
food. Guest speakers include Bob from Black Dog Survival School, Mike from White Harvest Seeds, Dr. Tom Stoner from Dr. Med Kids, and more. And be sure to stop by and check out the Longevity Booth, the Southern Preppers Convention and Green Living Expo, September 7th and 8th, a weekend of education and preparation that's totally free to attend. Don't forget, the Country Inn and Suites in Oxford has special rates available for those who attend the expo. Get all the details at thesouthernpreppers.com. That's thesouthernpreppers.com. Nutritious food is real body armor. It builds muscle, burns fat, improves digestion, and feeds the entire body the nutrients it needs. Did you know the U.S. government banned the hemp plant from growing in the United States and classified it as a Schedule One drug to hide it behind the marijuana plant? People have been confused about this plant for over 80 years, and many still don't know what hemp is. So now you know hemp is not marijuana, and marijuana is not hemp. They are different varieties of the same species. Hemp USA.org wants the world to know these basic facts and to help people understand that hemp protein powder is the best-kept health secret you need to know about. Remember, hemp protein powder contains 53% protein, is gluten-free, anti-inflammatory, non-GMO, and is loaded with nutrients. Call 888-910-4367, 888-910-4367, and see what our powder, seeds, and oil can do for you only at HempUSA.org. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. That bears repeating. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. And Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse is the key to digestive health. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic, strong enough to cleanse, gentle enough to use every day. Pro-EM-1 is dairy, wheat, and soy-free, contains all natural and certified organic ingredients, contains no preservatives or animal products, supports a healthy digestive and immune system, supports weight loss, improves the Absorption of food nutrients, aids in controlling yeast infections, is never freeze-dried, and uses three groups of live, viable, beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com, Terraganics.com, or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM-1, the raw probiotic. What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know. Okay, we have Gavin Drake of Quark Incorporated. We're talking about Quark Express 10, all the major changes moving to the Cocoa programming environment has entailed a lot of work. Now, in terms of support for the Mac, do you support the Lion, Mountain Lion, and Mavericks features such as the autosave and versioning? Moving to Cocoa, one of the reasons we did that was to make sure we could support some of the new features. So, for example, the full screen feature you're going to see in, in Quark Express 10, you're going to see a, a more Mac OS 10-looking native user interface, drag-and-drop palettes, um, support for recent file lists on the dock and on the recent items list. So there's a number of those kind of native Mac OS 10 features that up until now either you haven't seen in Quark Express or we've had to somehow mimic inside the application rather than supporting those natively so yes you're going to see some of those features that you haven't seen before when you look at things like auto save and versioning that's functionality that quark express has had since i don't know version 
four, three, maybe even two. Perhaps you could tell me. So it goes back, I think, to two or three. The autosave. Yeah. yeah. So the autosave and versioning is something that we we handled pretty well in Quark Express for a number of years, actually. So something like that, you'll stick with the way you're doing it. We are right now. With there are some some big advantages to how we're doing that right now versus switching across to the OS. And for our for our larger enterprise clients, they're using things like Quark Publishing mm-hmm. Platform that have far more sophisticated version control, figuring out things like how many historical versions you keep, etc. Now the other issue, of course, is that you have to have a Mac version, you have to have a Windows version, so you have to keep them very much the same, except for operating system differences. So there are little constraints on that because you don't want the Quark user who is now working on a PC and he goes to the office and there's a Mac, you don't want them to be confused. Correct. So we try to keep feature parity as much as we can between those two versions. Obviously, we have file level compatibility. You know, and as long as you're using things like open type fonts, then uh, you should have no issues working between the two applications. Similar shortcut keys, etc. But, but yes, there'll be some features that are Mac OS specific, and there'll be some features that are Windows specific. So we try to do a, a good a job as we can as giving it a, a native feel on each of those platforms. This may be the question you don't want to answer. We'll see. Windows 8, are you going to have native support or is it going to be just for the desktop environment of Windows 8? Uh, we will support Windows 8. I'd have to do a rain check with you in terms of if you're talking about the Windows 8 Surface tablets. Well, I'm talking about Windows 8, the modern UI, the tiled interface, that kind of thing. Yeah, we haven't got specific. I think they did call it Metro, and I forget what they just changed the name to. They had some. They had some, to change it because some issues, a, didn't they? Right. There's a Metro supermarket chain, I think, in Germany. Yeah, correct. And they couldn't use that, so they call it Modern UI, and we call it the interface formerly known as Metro. But the question is here: Are you going to support a touch interface, or are you going to try just leave it as it is now? No, right now it's it's the same same interface impact that we've had previously, and we'll we'll obviously support Windows Seven and Windows Eight with version ten with our with our App Studio product, which is creating apps, which is a a slightly tangential subject. Then we'll be supporting Windows Eight app creation soon with the App Studio product. All right, now of course there's another desktop publishing application out there. It's very popular that the publisher has now put on a rent program, meaning you have to pay a monthly fee to have it or the rest of the applications in that suite, you're still going to just continue to sell Quark Express straight. You buy it as an app, you pay a discount upgrade fee, none of this stuff where you're going to make it a rental product. Yeah, absolutely. I think our customers and and the market's spoken pretty clearly from what I've seen and read um, that when it comes to something like Quark Express, which is a, a desktop application, they want to purchase it, know that they don't have any commitment if they don't want to purchase another upgrade, and they can decide whether they upgrade based on the merits of that version. They're not looking to get locked into a, a monthly or an annual payment scheme. And I think certainly what I've seen, one of the biggest fears people have with that is if they stop paying, and it's probably particularly sensitive right now, given the economic environment we've had in the past four or five years, people's concerns about when times are tough, can they afford to keep paying that rental software model? So no, we've we've said quite unequivocally to customers that we have no plans to take Quark Express down a subscription route. Now, that's not to say we've got anything in principle against the different licensing models that are out there. I think it's it's picking the most appropriate licensing model depending on what it is you sell and who it is you're selling it to. So 
For some of our products, we have rental models if our customers want them. We have perpetual licensing models. We have annual right to use models. So, and for our cloud solutions, clear we have clearly we have subscription models because that's that's what you expect with a cloud service as opposed to a, a shrink wrapped application. So we're kind of open to all of those options, but we'll also be led by what our customers are asking for. Are you getting a lot of calls and emails from Adobe InDesign users saying, "Okay"? I don't want the subscription stuff anymore. Can we upgrade to your product? There's clearly been a lot more eyeballs looking towards Quark Express in the past few months than I think there has been in the past. And I think that's what makes version 10 a, a particularly significant release because there are InDesign users certainly looking in that direction. And you know, what we found certainly through our research is that a large proportion of the market still have both products. So they may use one product more than the other. They may use them equally, but probably as much as 50% of the market that we've seen actually have Quark Express and InDesign of one version or another. So it's, it's probably less about switching and it's more about deciding which is the latest version I'm going to be on and, and how much am I going to use those two different tools relative to each other? Well, obviously we only have a few minutes left, but if you can give me a 60 second argument other than the licensing scheme to use Quark Express over InDesign, what would it be? Well, when we look at version 10, brand new Xenon graphics engine, we think it is the absolute best in class in terms of on-screen graphics rendering and, and customers that are on InDesign or they're on older versions of Quark Express are going to immediately notice the difference. Quark Express, the feedback that certainly we get from customers is they find it the easiest tool to learn, the easiest tool to use, and the quickest to get their work done. And I think in this environment, being able to design for print as well as publish to smartphones, to tablet devices like the iPad using one tool, doing that easy, easily, doing that effectively, um, that's a big selling point for people. What about a version of Quark Express optimized for, say, an iPad? Well, we've we've released an app called DesignPad about 12 months ago, which actually was awarded the um, iOS app of the year just a few weeks ago. It's really thinking about what is the right design approach and what tools do you want on an iPad. So that particular tool, DesignPad, is for doing design concepting, but then you can finish that on a desktop computer with Quark Express afterwards. So it's an evolving area. We'll see what happens there. Technically, it's something that can be done. The, the bigger question is, is it something you should do? So you have to explore whether there will be a Quark Express 11 for the iPad. Indeed. And something you can't detect now. I guess it's also how people use these things. Right now, I still need my desktop computer, and I let my wife play with the iPad. But, you know, we have to see where it's going to go. An iPad's a hell of a lot more powerful than the early Macs on which Quark Express ran. Exactly. It's not a question of whether it can be done. It's a question in terms of usability and what people are focusing those devices on. So it's still a very fast evolving and fragmenting market. So one that we'll just be keeping uh, keeping tabs on. There are also obviously severe trade-offs when you go to a mobile platform. In fact, I'm writing a column about this as to whether Apple would merge iOS and OS 10. And the reason they don't now is because there are too many constraints on the mobile platform. That's one reason other than the metaphor of you can't mix a toaster oven with a refrigerator that tim cook used but the key being of course that right now they're totally different you don't have the resource constraints on a mac as you do on ios and for someone like quark or any of these companies with these huge sprawling apps that's a big factor tell our listeners gavin where they can get more information about quark express 10 when it's going to be out yeah it's going to be available later this month And if they go to quark.com forward slash 10, they will find loads of information on the new features.
And you can see everything there. It's quark.com forward slash 1010 forward slash 1010. And you'll learn all about the brand new features of the forthcoming Quark Express 10. I'll just add, Gene, um, if anyone is looks at that and they're interested, they can actually pre-order 10 right now and save 20%. Gavin Drake, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Okay, thank you. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Are you ready to fight back? Fight back against the army of spies, scammers, and government wonks that are hell-bent on stealing your information? Let me ask you one question. What are you doing right now to protect your privacy? Learn how to take your identity off the grid and even disappear forever with this weird trick at privacyradio.com. I'll show you how to protect yourself and your family from big government and big business in just 10 easy steps. Go to privacyradio.com to learn more. If you want to approach companies with your invention, the first step is to secure your patent rights. We are Russ Weinzimmer and Associates, a national law firm dedicated to helping you get strong protection for your invention. Already selling a product based on your invention? There may still be time to lock in your rights. Just call us at 800-621-3654 for your confidential free consultation. Or visit strategicpatentlaw.com. That's strategicpatentlaw.com. We live in a complicated society. Stressful issues are always popping up. Have you ever been treated unfairly by someone? Have you ever been overcharged for a repair? Have you ever signed a contract or a document worried about identity theft? How many times have you been in those unique situations where you just wanted to call an attorney to find out if you're right or wrong or what your legal rights are? But every time you think about calling an attorney, what do you think about first? That's right. Who do you call and how much will it cost? Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution. With a nationwide network of 6,900 attorneys who average 19 years of experience, Legal Shield's law firms take over 40,000 calls per week helping their members. For less than $20 per month, you can have access to Legal Shield on everything from the trivial to the traumatic. Let Legal Shield stand up for your rights at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. Or call 855-340-SAVE, 855-340-7283. 
A little over a year ago, I began to do a lot of research into why, even though I had a pretty good-sized meal, that I was still starving. And my research led me to a well-known fact that most of the soils that we grow our crops on here in the United States and across the industrialized world are almost completely depleted of almost all of the key minerals and trace elements that our bodies need to rebuild themselves, fight off cancer, and be healthy. I then searched out the best vitamin and mineral company out there and discovered Longevity. The Longevity products are designed to give you the real nutrition you need, and once you've got that, you don't have to eat as much to be satisfied. I've lost 37 pounds in two months simply getting the vitamins and minerals I need. Check it out for yourself. It's incredible. Go to InfoWarsTeam.com today and order your first canister of Beyond Tangy Tangerine Complete Multivitamin Mineral Complex Dietary Supplement. That's InfoWarsTeam.com. You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Isle live with Gene Steinberg. Okay, we're back at the Tech Night Out Live. In case you just tuned in, we first heard from Adam Inks of Tidbits and Take Control Books. And then Gavin Drake, the Vice President of Marketing for Quark Incorporated, telling us all about Quark Express 10. Now, we have a special guest who's just entered the recording studio. And kind of a heavy set guy. I've seen him before. He looks familiar. Sir, who is this? Uh, well, you know, you can get my friends call me Steve, but you can call me Mr. Bomber. Oh, it's the. Fake Steve Bomber joining us. Mr. Bomber, you know, I wanted to talk to you today about some critical issues with Microsoft. And you were telling us, you know, how the Surface tablet is a design point. I guess at that point you were sort of satisfied with sales. Now you've guys taken a $900 million write down because you can't sell the Surface tablet. What's going on there at Microsoft? Well, to be fair now, now we've sold almost almost $900 million worth of Surface tablets. So, you know, this this write down that we put out for $900 million, I mean, that's, you know, that's almost been offset by the sales that we have seen. Well, that would mean that you didn't sell the same number of Surface tablets. So you sold half of them? Well, I mean, you know, you can say that maybe the glass is half is half empty, but maybe the glass was just twice as big as it needed to be. You know, I mean, our surface strategy is solid. Our customers really like this device. You know, we we think that we've got a winning strategy with the surface moving forward. Forward to what century? Well, I mean, you know, probably to the previous century, but I mean, that's neither here nor there. We think that the Surface meets customer expectations because you can use it in any kind of setting that you want. You can use it at home. You can use it with Office. You can't do that with these other products. People love the Surface. If they love the Surface, why don't they want any? Well, I, I, I don't know. Also, I want to talk to you here, you know. I believe in truth in advertising, Mr. Fake Steve Bomber. And the first thing I'm going to ask you is these fake commercials for the iPad versus a Surface tablet. And you know why they're fake? Because you reduce the size of the iPad so that its horizontal dimensions are the same as a Surface tablet. That's fake. You're reducing it, what, about 10, 15 percent? 
Well, Why do you we're do just that? trying to present the surface in, in a way that actually meets customer expectations. I mean, you know, you can say tomato and I can say tomato, but at the end of the day, we still have a product that, that people really love and embrace. And besides, you can't plug in SD cards into an iPad, you know, that you can't run two apps at one time. That clearly makes the surface better. Well, if that's the case, why do you have to lie about the size of the iPad? <laughs> I, I can't even come up with a fake answer for that. That's the one we have to ask Steve Lomber. Why do the commercials have to contain lies? You know, that is such – so, I, don't, I don't know. We have, by the way, Brian Chaffin of the Mac Observer, who sometimes breaks into this other voice when he takes certain substances that we cannot identify on radio. Because if we did, the authorities would be ringing down our doors. No doubt. No doubt. No All doubt. Right. I, I, don't get, I don't get these surface commercials. I don't get uh, – you know, I've, I've gone on about this just, just over and over again. When you look at the success of the iPad – and you come up with the fact that what people really want is a keyboard, you're just doing it wrong. And Microsoft is doing it wrong. Okay, so Microsoft is living in the wrong century. They're still trying to sell tablets on the same basis that they did 10 years ago. It's basically just a smaller PC with a touchscreen. They see, but you know, it's like this here. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing and thinking you're going to have a different result. Yeah, we can, we can stretch that even further. You look at Apple and you look at Microsoft. Apple is willing to take something extraordinarily successful and kill it with something new. Apple, Apple has done that several times. They've done that you know, with, with different iPod iterations. They've uh, done it with, uh, um, by, by bringing out the, the iPhone to kill the, 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 kill the iPod, essentially. And Microsoft won't do that. Microsoft is utterly terrified of losing its Windows and Office uh, monopolies. You know, th- those are the two products that make money for Microsoft, and they're, they, they, they're terrified of those pr- products becoming less relevant. And so rather than being willing to kill them itself, right, rather than the Microsoft being willing to take the, the ax to its own products in order to replace it with something new, something that will take it forward like Apple has done, Microsoft instead tries to position everything else it does in a way that props up these these two legacy products. Just, I mean, it's just well, it's not it's it's not crazy. It, it's it's the way most people would react. Apple definitely stands out by by going you know in a different direction. But that is why we're seeing what is happening to Microsoft happen. You know, they've got no product vision and they are terrified of losing Office and Windows. And so they hobble their tablet by keeping one foot of that tablet in the desktop legacy business. And at the same time, they hobble the desktop business by with Windows 8 I'm talking about here, by trying to put one foot into the tablet world. And it, it's just, it's nonsense. It's, it's weak, weak leadership. And you wonder if they're putting one foot in the grave. I mean, what happens to Microsoft? We understand the office monopoly, but, you know, right now they have one heck of a time selling upgrades to office. I mean, how many more useless features can you add and encourage people to buy those upgrades? That, that's true, but office still does make a lot of money. Microsoft isn't going to die anytime soon. The company has margins that, that would make even Apple blush. Um, they make a lot of money. 
They bring in a lot of revenue. They actually have a lot of smart people. You know, the problem is with the structure at Microsoft and the problem is with the leadership, especially at the top. So, you know, at some point, Steve Ballmer will be fired. And if the board of directors can bring in someone with, uh, with some product vision who is really willing to shake things up and really willing to look at the future instead of looking at the past, you know, Microsoft could well have a, you know, massive success continuing into the future. But until they do that, they will decline. But I, wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't say that, that they've got one foot in the grave. Well, you know what? I like to have my Microsoft death watch. And I think it <laughs> serves as a wake-up call to the company. Because even if you fire the CEO, you have to completely reorganize the company and maybe fire a lot of his lieutenants who go in lockstep to what he says and what he wants. Because if you don't get rid of all the leaders who are doing things the wrong way, you're not going to fix the problem. Yeah, like I, I would. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm I am not suited to be Microsoft CEO. I'm not qualified to be Microsoft CEO. I'm not. I'm not trying to suggest otherwise. But if I was advising Microsoft's next CEO, I would find the person that killed the courier tablet and fire him. I would find the people that envisioned the courier project and I would promote them. I would find the people that decided that the best selling feature for the Surface was a keyboard and I would fire them. You know, I would look for all those people that have made these really boneheaded decisions and I would get rid of them and I would look at the I would look for the people that that wanted to take a different direction and do everything I could to promote them. That would probably result in most of the lieutenants going. Just like you said. All right. That's Microsoft, and we have to see what's going to happen. Obviously, Windows 8.1 is only a minor fixer-upper. It doesn't do an awful yeah. lot to fix the problems. Now, well, it, yeah, they're, they're trying to address some of the specific criticisms. They, they brought back the, the start button, although really it's, it's a start it's label. It's sort of a start button, not yeah. the start button. Exactly. Uh, yeah. No, Windows 8.1 isn't. Isn't, isn't the solution to Microsoft's problems. It's a Band-Aid, a very thin Band-Aid. Yeah, a very thin Band-Aid that, that, that may have been worn before. Oh, I like that. <laughs> so there we are with Microsoft looking at the real world here. Yes, Microsoft can struggle on for a number of years before things come to bite them. Yes, PC sales are down, OEM sales of Windows are down, still making great profits. But at what point does the board of directors wake up and say, wait a minute, now we see the handwriting on the wall, and it's not telling us good news? I, it's a great question. I don't understand. I don't understand. I, I, I can't remember if I, if I said this to you before, Gene. I, I know that Steve Ballmer loves Microsoft, and, and that actually means something to me, whether or not it should is another issue. But I know that he loves Microsoft. I think he'd probably die for Microsoft, but I don't think he loves Microsoft okay. enough to leave and get, a, and get out of the way. So basically, that's the problem right there. Yes. And I don't understand how the board hasn't already fired him. I don't understand how the stuff isn't obvious to to the board. I mean, he, he's a marketing guy. They need a product guy, just like Steve Jobs said, you know, multiple times. And I don't understand why they don't see it. Tunnel vision on the part of Microsoft. A lot more to come with Brian Chaffin of the Mac Observer. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Are you? 
you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. After 22 years of nutritional counseling, I've witnessed that a lot of illness can be linked to toxins and deficiencies combined. Improving your liver function and restoring your cells' ability to detoxify is essential to achieving radiant health. Listen to the real-world results of Doug and his wife after taking One World Way. My name is Doug Didero. For years, I had an ongoing rash with itching around my eyes. This was due to metal dust particles landing on my face in the workplace. After being on One World Way for two weeks, I began to have a severe rash and itching sensation around my eyes. This rash and itching lasted for five weeks and is now 100% gone. Additionally, without extra exercise, I've also increased my muscle size and my wife has lost weight and gained a more attractive figure. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. 888-988-3325 or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorld, W-H-E-Y.com. Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. On the Tech Night Out Live, Brian Chaffin of the Mac Observer at MacObserver.com. Let's focus on some other subjects here. So Apple dodged a bullet this week. They faced the ban of older iPads, the iPhone 4, as a result of this patent dispute with Samsung, one of many thousands. The International Trade Commission saying they would have to stop the sale of these products, but President Obama's trade commissioner said he vetoed it, which is a rare thing. He hasn't, the president hasn't done that, any president, since the days of Ronald Reagan. Correct, 27 years. Okay. So the, the it, it issue was Samsung trying to use a standard essential patent to get an import ban against Apple. Now, Apple is... Uh, infringing on this patent, unless, of course, uh, it's covered by patent exhaustion, meaning that that Apple is already covered by um, the license owned by the company that made the uh, the, the chip that was that actually uses this. this I wanted patent. to emphasize this because I'm trying to understand it. Okay, I asked this of Adam Inks, I'll ask of you. So basically, Apple puts different components from third-party manufacturers into its gear. This is a baseband chip, which therefore accesses the cellular radio network. 
So the people who built that chip apparently pay Samsung for certain rights to certain patents they own, industry standard patents. They've paid that. So Apple is being asked to pay again. This would be double dipping, and I liken it to buying a new car and having the patent holder of the automatic transmission ask you for a check. Right, right. You're already paying for that automatic transmission patent license when you buy the car in the first place. And that's been Apple's argument on several of Samsung's uh, patents. Now, I'm not sure. Patent exhaustion is a fairly cut and dry issue. You know, several courts have, have quickly dismissed uh, Samsung claims uh, due to patent exhaustion. And I'm not sure if patent exhaustion does relate directly to this specific issue that the White House overturned. I, I think that, the, that the, the opinion, the letter released by U.S. Trade Representative Michael Froman didn't mention pat, patent exhaustion, but what it did mention is the idea of companies uh, doing what's called patent holdup in an effort to effectively extort higher licensing fees than they would otherwise be able to get. And that is why the White House vetoed this. This wasn't Apple favoritism. This is, this is about putting a stop to standards essential patents being used to extort things. And there was another element to this, too. One of the dissenting commissioners in the International Trade Commission, the ITC, uh, one of the – I think his name is Pinkert, Mr. Pinkert. I, I think it's Michael Pinkert, but I can't remember his first name. Uh, he wrote a scathing opinion talking about how – Samsung was demanding that Apple license its non-essential patents in order to get a license for Samsung's standards essential patents. And you can't do that. That is utterly and completely wrong. It's an abuse of the patent system. And, and these are the reasons why the White House uh, vetoed this stuff. Well, that's part of the issue here. How can you say a company must sell the license to their proprietary software and hardware and other features? They have a right to keep that to themselves if they want. They don't have to give that out to the industry. It's one thing if you have an industry standard patent. And here's something I suggested in the earlier segment. I'd like to get your reaction to it. Instead of having these brouhaha's over standards essential patents, why not have one royalty-collecting organization that you go to? And say you want the patent to build some kind of chip in your smartphone or tablet or computer. And you do the research and you see that these three companies own industry standard patents for those features. So you go to the organization that manages the royalties and everyone pays the same thing on a per unit basis, basis of income, whatever. And you pay a fixed fee and that's it, like buying a product in the store. Why do you have to have this nonsense? Because when you leave the companies alone to their own devices, they'll try to abuse the privileges, as Samsung does very often. Well, keep in mind that until Apple started disrupting the market with its non-essential patents, with its non-essential uh, features and, and design and that sort of thing, um, the Frand concept, the, the notion that a company gives its or, or offers up a, a patent to be to be included in a standard and in exchange agrees to license it on a fair, reasonable, and non-discriminatory basis. This system has largely worked for, for decades. 
And it's only now that we're seeing the problems with the fact that what exactly friend means isn't codified. And, and that's, that's kind of at the heart here. And also understand that, that a big, huge part of this is that Samsung knew it was infringing on Apple's design and utility patents because they deliberately set out to copy those features that were patent protected, including features that Google was smart enough not to include because Google knew that they were protected by Apple's patents. Samsung went ahead and added them anyway. Now, is Samsung just showing hubris? Are they stupid? Or do they really hope they can get away with it? We have to understand that, what is it, the... One of the founders of Samsung or the family in charge of the company faced serious issues in South Korea because he allegedly stole up to, what, 7 or $8 billion? I Actually, I'm not familiar with that in the story, but certainly Samsung has often been, and, and Sam, the, the, the ruling family of Samsung has, has been at the center of all manner of um, you know, accusations of, of impropriety. And you know, they, they own a huge percentage of Korea's like entire economic infrastructure. So, you know, that's, that is an issue that, that, you know, the Korea is going to have to deal with, but I, I do think that there is a lot of, uh, of hubris at, at, at Samsung. I, I believe that they feel that they can pretty much do whatever they want. Now here's what's ha- normally happened in these patent battles. Company goes after another company accusing them of infringing. So the, the second company goes and looks through its patents and they try to find things that the first company is infringing, and then they mutually sue each other, and then whoever basically has the strongest hand ends up getting a small amount of money. And more often than not, these result in uh, you know, cross-licensing deals where both companies are protected not only from each other but against other companies as well. And I personally believe that Samsung thought that, that that's what they could do with this situation, that Apple was going to come at them with all these uh, non-essential standards, uh, non-essential patents, and that Samsung was going to countersue. And, of course, the only thing they had to countersue with are their standards essential patents because they don't innovate. They don't, they don't have any user interface patents. They, that's, that's not what they do. They're not known for their design. That's not what they do either. And so they countersued and assuming that, that Apple would basically just be forced to let Samsung rip off all of their non-essential patents turned out that Apple wasn't interested in that kind of settlement. And this has been a stunningly losing strategy on Samsung's parts. Every regulatory body in the world, except for uh, there was one incident in Korea, and then, of course, this ITC ruling, they've all rejected Samsung's bids to get import bans based on uh, these standards of central patents. So where does this go to from here? Now, Samsung basically lost this deal in the end. At the 11th hour. So does Samsung now say maybe we better make a deal because this ain't working the way we want? Honestly, I think Samsung's going to end up doubling down in some way. Could be wrong. Don't have any evidence of that. But my gut feeling is they're going to they're gonna try to double down and still go for something. But where it will go is it'll go to the courts where it should go. Because the courts can force Apple to, uh, to pay for a license and can force Samsung to make that a FRAND license. In other words, the courts are very likely to establish a licensing system, a royalty, a royalty rate that matches what the rest of the industry pays. That's all, that's all Apple has been wanting this whole time anyway. Apple's not wanting to not pay Samsung for its, its standards essential patents. Apple just wants the same kinds of rates that everybody else has to pay. 
they don't want to pay a higher price because they're Apple. Brian Chaffin joining us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237. There are those curious about Bitcoins and those using and making money with Bitcoins. What are Bitcoins? A Bitcoin is the first decentralized currency that can be easily transferred from person to person over the Internet. No bank needed. This means lower fees and accounts can never be frozen, limited, or closed. You are in control of your money. And the best part? You can start earning and making money with Bitcoins right away. No computer or expertise is required to earn money with Bitcoins and a growing number of merchants now accept Bitcoins. Plus, they're easily exchanged for dollars, euros, and more. Learn more about the easiest, cheapest, most profitable way to enter the Bitcoin market and get paid every two weeks by one of the fastest-growing Bitcoin miners in the world at cloudhashing.com. Just like it sounds, cloudhashing.com. That's cloudhashing.com. We mine your business. Springtime is sale time at Herbal Healer Academy. Current customers know this is the time to save big and stock up at HerbalHealer.com. New customers, welcome to the web's best place to save on vitamins, minerals, and more. Right now, Herbal Healer's spring specials include our 500 parts per million colloidal silver, all sizes on sale, CoQ10 with Hawthorne, Colon Enhancer, Sea Cucumber, Super Fam and Super Male Plex, plus Glucosamine Chondroitin, our best-selling liquid CalMag Vitamin D, and our colloidal 
minerals all on sale for spring at HerbalHealer.com. And Herbal Healer also offers certificate correspondence courses in natural medicine. Enjoy same-day shipping and free online newsletter. Log on to our nation's leader in supplying quality natural medicine and education since 1988. Herbal Healer Academy at HerbalHealer.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow night owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com. On the Tech Night Out Live, Brian Chaffin joins us from the Mac Observer at MacObserver.com. So let's look at the patent issue one step further. Does this help make Samsung more inclined to sit down with Apple and get this thing over with? Or is this going to go on forever? I mean, there's a published report now that Apple is still going to use some parts from Samsung for its new devices. So we have Samsung making money from Apple. Wouldn't they want to say, you know, let's make a deal. This way we can make more money from Apple. Well, if I was Samsung, that again. That sounds logical, but then, you know, I'm not Samsung. Right, exactly. And, and I'm not either. And again, I'm not qualified to be Samsung CEO. I'm even less qualified to be Samsung CEO than I am to be Microsoft CEO. Well, it depends. But, Are you able to steal $8 billion? No, actually. I okay, so therefore you're not qualified. Correct. <laughs> But if I was Samsung, what I would do is I would stop these standards essential shenanigans. I would ask for a friend deal from Apple, and I would also stop trying to copy Apple's technology. Samsung has made quite a name for itself now in the smartphone business by trotting on Apple's back. I believe that they have enough going on their own now that they can stop trotting on Apple's back and having basically having already stolen from apple they you know they can stop the stealing and and do their own thing and and go their own way and i think that that's what they should do and i don't think that they will do because i I think that the executives of this company feel very entitled they feel they keep doing this there'll be no end to it now samsung apparently is not above dirty tricks there was a report on one of the sites that does benchmarking saying that samsung on the galaxy s4 smartphone inserts code that makes it inflate the benchmark. So it runs faster when it's feeding out those benchmarks, and then the clock speed or whatever is brought back down. Now, obviously, if you overclock something, make it run faster, it kills battery life. But if it's just running a benchmark app for a couple of minutes, it doesn't matter. That's dirty pool. Yeah, it is. It's just, I mean, you know, it's just, I, I can't even think this way. I don't, I don't even, I don't, if you have to cheat to win, why bother playing? I mean, I know that there's money involved, but... I, you know, I, I'm just not sure exactly who Samsung, in this case, thinks that it's fooling. They're Samsung. They're entitled. Let's go to another issue here, which is the U.S. Department of Justice mm-hmm. goes against a bunch of big publishers and Apple over ebook price fixing. Apple loses in a trial before a judge. Now, I asked Adam this. Maybe you know. Did Apple ever have the opportunity to say, no, we want a jury? Does it always have to be before a judge? I don't have the background to answer that question. I would imagine that Apple had the option of going to a jury. I don't know that I would want to take this in front of a jury. Okay, so let's take a look at this. The decision, Adam kind of thought that 
they were right, you thought they were wrong. But now we have the Department of Justice seeking remedies that go way beyond and above what this particular case resolved, which was about ebook price fixing. Plus, all these publishers have already negotiated new packs or agreed to change their behavior. So what do we expect Apple to do? Well, what what Apple says that it wants to do is pretty much self-police. And uh, Apple has said that that this is, in fact, a, a mood issue at this point, that the uh, publishers can no longer make the kinds of deals um, with Apple that got Apple in trouble um, due to their settlements, due to the publisher settlements with the DOJ. The DOJ is asking for, um, as you said, not only for Apple to be prohibited from doing these kinds of agreements, but all the DOJ also wants oversight over all of Apple's iTunes business. And I find that to be outrageous, outrageous and inappropriate and, and a naked power grab that is uh, out of all scale to the problem that Apple has been convicted of uh, the doing. Now, in passing and not seriously, I suggested to Adam earlier in the show that maybe what the Department of Justice wants is for Attorney General Eric Holder to sit on Apple's board. That's it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, they're, not, they're definitely not asking for anything quite that crazy. Uh, and that would, in fact, be, be crazy. I, I personally find Eric Holder to be a not great Attorney General, but that's another issue. They want an independent antitrust compliance monitor and then also an independent antitrust officer. The officer trains the board, and the monitor actually basically checks over everything that Apple does relating to its iTunes business and then reports to the board on whether or not that that, that is meets antitrust uh, regulations and essentially giving an indirect veto by the DOJ over every deal that Apple makes in terms of iTunes content. And the reason why I think that's such a broad overreach is because Apple hasn't been accused, let alone convicted, of violating any antitrust laws or of engaging in any uh, price-fixing schemes on these other non-book-related iTunes businesses. I don't see why the DOJ feels entitled to have any oversight there when Apple hasn't been accused or tried for for anything along those lines it's 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 outrageous all right so apple is supposedly going to appeal all this the judge still has the option not to accept those penalties and to impose some of her own that are less stringent right i mean keep in mind that the you know the doj's job is to from the doj's perspective apple is uh, is a convicted price fixing monopolist uh, or at least a convicted price fixer, that this was an egregious breach of uh, of antitrust law, and now Apple needs to be punished. So that that's the DOJ's standpoint. And their job is to get as much out of the judge as they think would be beneficial for the people. This this is, I'm talking, you know, high-level theory here. And so for them to ask for more than they think they can get, well, it's probably standard operating procedure. Uh, whether or not they get it remains to be seen. All right. There we go. Do you have an opinion as to whether the appeals court's going to overturn all this stuff or whether Apple just has to pay the piper? I think that if the appellate court doesn't overturn it, that the very capital-friendly Supreme Court will overturn it. Um, Justice Roberts is going to say, yet. 
Yeah, yeah. The, the the conservative wing, I think that the conservative wing of the Supreme Court will will very much smash the DOJ's case and, and wreck it as, uh, as the government interfering with, uh, with business. I understand here is that the Supreme Court, the conservatives hate the Obama administration. They certainly hate Eric Holder. So to embarrass them would be something that would be expected or at least possible. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I, I definitely think politics will be at play. And I think that in this case, uh, those politics will benefit Apple. Which you know kind of puts me at a in an interesting perspective in that I think a lot of the pro capital decisions of the Supreme Court have been uh, at odds with both good sense uh, and uh, you know and anything approaching reason. But in this case, I hope that that happens. And you know, back to the judge. The judge, as you said, the judge has not accepted the DOJ's remedy. I would be surprised if she accepted all of that remedy. I, I think she'll she'll pare it back. We have to pare this back for a moment. Peel away the layer, and you'll find more about it in a moment. Brian Chaffin of the Mac Observer at MacObserver.com joins us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Folks, you'll want to hear this. No matter what size your business, people don't take you seriously unless you have a professional-looking website. You can empower your business with a stunning online presence, and it's free. Join over 30 million people who have built their websites with Wix. Once again, it's completely free. It requires absolutely no design or coding skills. Want to know more? Check out Wix.com. That's W-I-X. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio, DreamHost.com slash radio. People are taking charge of their lives with healthier lifestyles. That's why you have to experience the Raleigh-Durham Gluten and Allergen-Free Wellness Event. One day only, Saturday, August 17th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Durham Convention Center in Durham, North Carolina. Explore the Gluten and Allergen-Free Wellness Event, where learning is fun and delicious. Discover the world of gluten-free with free samples, cooking demonstrations, and lectures with well-known members of the gluten-free community. Enter the raffle, and you could win the grand prize of a catered bar Barbecue from Bone Sucking Sauce, valued at $3,000. The Raleigh Durham Gluten and Allergen Free Wellness Event, August 17th at the Durham Convention Center. For more, visit R-A-L-E-I-G-H glutenfreeexpo.blogspot.com. Raleigh glutenfreeexpo.blogspot.com. Presented by Udy's Gluten Free, Glutino, Enjoy Life Foods, and Longevity. Wouldn't it be nice to have one product that replaces more than 10, saving you space, time, and money? HempUSA.org has a complete full-spectrum vitamin, mineral, D 
detox formulation called Microplant Powder Gold. Microplant Powder Gold contains 101 vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and iodine, has a 100-year shelf life, and is a perfect addition to any storage shelter. Make Microplant Powder Gold your choice. Call 888-910-4367 or visit HempUSA.org today. HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with Microplant powder. Order today at 888-910-4367 or visit HempUSA.org. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. That bears repeating. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. And Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse is the key to digestive health. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic, strong enough to cleanse, gentle enough to use every day. Pro-EM-1 is dairy, wheat, and soy-free, contains all natural and certified organic ingredients, contains no preservatives or animal products, supports a healthy digestive and immune system, supports weight loss, improves absorption of food nutrients, aids in controlling yeast infections, is never freeze-dried, and uses three groups of live, viable, beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com, Terraganics.com, or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM-1, the raw probiotic. Live with Gene Steinberg, it's the Tech Night Owl, because you never know what's going to happen next. We have Brian Schaffen of the Mac Observer at MacObserver.com. We're basically discussing segues to commercials. I remember the late Steve Allen. Of course, he was the guy who founded The Tonight Show. And when there was a commercial, he would put a sign on the screen, on the TV set. And instead of saying commercial, he'd say, come Herschel. It's supposed to be some kind of funny pun or something. But it doesn't work well on radio, so therefore we won't use it anymore. Is that okay I, with I, you? Yeah, I, that's fine. I've been using the sign every time, though. So I, I guess you I'm know, I can't rip up that sign. You, I can't you know distort the words. I can't read them in Hebrew. No. Oh, iOS 7. Now, Apple was attacked before iOS 7 saying, well, the iOS, the mobile operating system, is long in the tooth. It's tired. It's old. It's so 2007. And we think now how old we are to think that 2007 is something that's old. Right. Okay, so 2007, there are key features that need to be fixed. So Apple says, okay, we'll give you iOS 7. And supposedly Jonathan Ive, the interface design guy, makes changes, makes flatter elements, but they're not flatter. They're flat and more dimensional at the same time, simplified everything. It gave it the illusion of 3D-style depth with this parallax Mm -hmm. view, all sorts of stuff that takes advantage of the graphics chips. No faking benchmarks here. Okay, so some of the early criticisms suggested that some of the icons were unfinished, some of the interface elements could be reworked, some of the typefaces were a little too thin. Now, 
there's been ongoing beta process. Apple is now in iOS beta 5. Now, I gather based on published reports, because officially I can't say anything, otherwise, of course, I'd violate Apple's NDA, but unofficially or according to published reports, Apple has made some interface changes to improve matters. Yeah, according to what I've seen, uh, there, there have been lots of changes, which, of course, is, is expected. I mean, Apple announces the stuff at WWDC. This has been the pattern for the last several iterations of iOS. Apple announces at the Worldwide Development Developer Conference and then releases a series of betas to developers until it's ready to be released to the public. And uh, that's been the case this time. Apple started with these betas immediately the week of WWDC. And we are at beta five now, and and I tell you, it's I think it's I think it's really shaped up to be just you know better and better and better, and and beta five in particular is is a significant step forward, especially in terms of uh, uh, usability. Now I understand they've gone for a thicker font in some cases, so especially in bright surroundings, it's more visible. The, it's Helvetica New or New A, I think is actually how it's pronounced. Uh, is the font being used uh, by uh, by Apple for iOS 7, and the new version is a, is a slightly – I know it has a, a specific name, but it's, it is a heavier weight of Helvetica Nui. Right. You know, I looked up the pronunciation. I can't find anything on Wikipedia. It basically explains the history of Helvetica and all that. I think it's closer to the regular version, probably light, as opposed to this ultralight. You make it thicker, it makes it more readable, but if you make it too thick, it looks kind of clunky. Yeah, yeah, I, I like where it is. I, of course, I actually like the original version, too. I like that thinness. Uh, it's, it's funny, the, the Yahoo weather app is clearly was clearly designed for iOS 7, and that got released to great fanfare about uh, three or four months ago. And uh, it, so it, it's, you know, clearly Apple was working with Yahoo and Yahoo was basing their early access to iOS 7 um, to, to release this. And Apple was willing to, you know, to have this new approach to, to uh, iOS shown to the public via this, this Yahoo app. And, and to, anyway, the point is that, uh, that I think that this, the font looks great. The whole, the, the, you know, all, the, all the layers, the, the control center, the notification center, all these things that Apple is doing are really starting to shape up in the betas. Now, one feature that really interests me is notification center and the control center. Now, let me give you a background. Say the Samsung Galaxy S4 and Android systems, you have a notification center which rolls in system settings. And... It was suggested, well, Apple should do that because this way you don't have to go through, you know, 17 different menus to, say, turn off Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or something to save battery life. We understand that. The problem with the way that Android implements it, at least on the Galaxy S4, is that if you move or manipulate the notification manager, it's too easy to accidentally tap one of those settings and suddenly, oh, gee, I can't get on my Wi-Fi network or I turned it off. Or this happened to me once. I accidentally turned off syncing so Google Chrome for Android wouldn't sync with Google Chrome for my Mac, which uses, of course, my Gmail address. Wouldn't work, wouldn't sync. I turned it off accidentally. But Apple is smart enough they stick this on a separate screen that you deliberately have to call up and therefore the mistakes are fewer. Am I right? Well, you're right, and but the control center itself is two stages to this. The control center that Apple is showing off on iOS 7 is very similar to 
a control center that was introduced in Jelly Bean, but and Jelly Bean being the, the current version of Android. But that control center in Jelly Bean was based at least in part on some control center uh, software that was uh, developed by the iPhone jailbreak community and released in the through the the, the jailbreaking uh, online stores. So it's almost so, like Apple's sort of vaguely almost stealing from itself. Sort of vaguely. Yeah, stealing from fans that aren't quite happy with Apple's offerings. Because, you know, the, the, the people that are working for the jailbreak community are definitely not Apple employees. They wouldn't be working for Apple if they do that. Okay, so Apple basically found a good idea. Now, understand Apple will do this. They will sometimes borrow ideas or they'll buy up ideas, give their own unique slant to it, and introduce it. Okay, that's understandable. Sure. All right. So looking at iOS, there were still criticisms from the media, but they mostly focused on the interface, which, as we observe, was not entirely finished. The icons have been spruced up. The fonts are slightly thicker now, stuff like that. They focus on that, but they forgot that there were tons of features, new features. They ignored that as if they didn't exist. It's like um, you look at a picture and that's your review. Yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, but, you know, that's, so so yeah, iOS 7 was shown off as a beta. In many ways, it was certainly initially judged as a finished product rather than a beta. But, you know, that's that's kind of what you get, especially when you're Apple, especially when everyone's paying attention to what you're doing. You know, it's kind of it's just it's part and parcel of being where Apple is, which is the the innovation leader of, of the mobile uh, of the mobile industry. And um, there are, and, and also, it's it's a lot harder if you are trying to write about this for for your mainstream publication. It's a lot harder to judge the features when you theoretically don't have access to the software in the first place. All you can judge is effectively the picture. So I kind of understand where that where that comes from. I mean, I'm not excusing it, but you know, it's 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 what happens. And Apple, of course, introduces it as if this is, you know, the answer to perfection, your life's answers, everything that will make your life better. Here it is. It's iOS 7. He didn't quite say that, by the way. Yeah, they, they, they didn't. They, but they also didn't say, you know, we're showing this to you today, but, you know, it's still got a lot of work to go through. You know, they, and they didn't say we're showing this to you today. But remember, Jonathan Ive didn't take over design until uh, until last uh, November. You know, they, they didn't say those things either. But, uh, you know, but their audience for that presentation was developers. The developers understood what the score was. And um, I think that the, the, the speed of the rate of progress, especially the improvements in, I, in, in this Beta 5 that was just released this week, are just amazing. Like uh, Beta 4, for instance, and Beta 3, scrolling was very stuttery. And beta four scrolling was fast, but it was even studierier, more stuttery. And in beta five, all of a sudden, scrolling is is uh, both fast and smooth. Well, and just think of it this way: the latest Android Jelly Bean scrolling can still stutter on less than expansive or high end hardware. But there oh, you sure. go. We have Brian Chaffin of the Mac Observer for one more segment. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network.
Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. There is a false sense of security that the greatest economic crash since the Great Depression is over. But unemployment is still at a 20-year high, and until Americans are working again, the economy has not recovered. What is the smartest investment you can make? It's food. Having a supply of eFoods Direct 25-year shelf-life food is your best investment for the troubled times today and the future. For 32 years, the folks at eFoods Direct have helped thousands take the trouble out of troubled times. So to celebrate our 32-year anniversary, get the best insurance possible with a special one-time offer. A two-month food supply for only $320 and free shipping. That's 352 servings of our newest and most popular award-winning recipes at less than a dollar per serving. The 25-year shelf life allows you to lock your food cost against inflation. Call 800-409-5633 or go to eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex. The two-month supply is only available for a limited time. Call 800-409-5633 or go to eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex. If you owe the IRS back taxes, listen carefully. Sweeping changes to IRS policies will help more people than ever eliminate their tax debts once and for all. And now I can help you reduce or eliminate your tax debts and end your tax nightmare. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I've helped thousands of people reduce and eliminate tax debts they couldn't pay. And after more than 30 years of experience dealing with the IRS, I can tell you there's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. And with the IRS's new policies, it's easier than ever to put your tax debt behind you once and for all. Call now at 800-346-6829 to learn how I can help you. You know your IRS debt will not go away by itself, but you don't have to live in fear anymore. Call 800-346-6829. Learn how I can help you eliminate wage and bank levies, release tax liens, and negotiate a settlement with the IRS that will put your tax nightmare behind you forever. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to TaxHelpOnline.com. That's TaxHelpOnline.com. Hello, it's Tom Chenault from The Tom Chenault Show. We are experts in home-based business and residual income. We show people how to make money from their home, either part-time or full-time. And in partnership with Genesis Communication Network, we've organized a team to fight back about people not having money, time, or health. And we need your help. What we want you to do is if you've got an interest in building an organization to fight back against people taking our money, taking our time, and taking our health, we want to talk to you. All you need to do is call this number, 855-308-8326. Again, all you want to do is call 855-308-8326. You can make a tremendous amount of money and end up fighting for a great cause. Please call us right now.
You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. We have Brian Chaffin on our final segment of the Tech Night Out Live discussing the iOS 7 beta, where Apple's making progress. We expect release, what, late September? Uh, yeah, I, I assume late September. Could be early October, but I assume late September. Okay, it appears to be making progress. We're seeing reports in the media from those who have beta versions and aren't afraid of Apple telling them not to say that. That it's getting better, things are getting smoother, the functionality is better. As you get to the late betas, performance finally improves. This mm-hmm. is fairly normal. So maybe we're fairly late in the process. We'll have to see. Now, in the reports of the iOS 7 beta, is Maps better than iOS 6? Because Apple got really dinged badly for that. Yeah, it seems that Maps is uh, certainly making steady improvements. Uh, you know, Apple's been working on Maps since it was released with iOS 6. So there's been a lot of steady behind-the-scenes improvements. The the stuff that I've seen with the iOS 7 betas is also improved. You know, App, Apple, it's going to take a long time for Apple to live down the way Maps was unveiled. And we probably have already reached the point where that criticism is unfair. But again, that's kind of what happens when you're Apple. Specifically here, the 3D rendering is much better. Yeah, it appears like the 3D rendering is a lot better. Um, it appears like uh, the, the routes are better. And, you know, those are obviously key things. Apple has recently bought uh, a couple of companies that provide some missing holes in maps, uh, including uh, uh, transit directions and, and foot directions, pedestrian directions, pedestrian routing and stuff, uh, as well as uh, some companies that can provide uh, some sort of ground truth uh uh, technology where you know where they have data that's that's actually provided by people who can you know verify or, or offer up information on you know routes and locations of businesses all that sort of stuff. Apple's been making a number of very key company acquisitions uh, in recent months, and uh, I, I think we're going to see Apple Maps be really solid. I think Google still has the advantage in Maps because Google has been doing Maps for a very long time, and it is a central part of Google's uh, entire strategy of putting together profiles of us to sell to advertisers. So, I mean, you know, Google has a really vested interest in making Maps be all that it can be, and I think that Google is going to continue to maintain the edge. But I think that Apple Maps is um, is narrowing that gap and will continue to narrow that gap. The thing, of course, I wonder here, whether when people review the Google Maps, they pay attention to the beta warning. I mean, when you launch it for the first time, Google's navigation app, you always see a warning saying, this is a beta, we're not responsible for anything. If your car ends up in a ditch, it doesn't say it that way. Can't blame us. It's not our fault. It's a beta. That's how they get away with a lot of things. Also, that they've added a 3D rendering that they hope to be similar to what Apple's doing with Flyover, but it's not as good in Google Maps yet. And I see it make a lot of mistakes, to be frank. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's for sure. I, I, there are a couple things that, that Apple is doing really, really well with Maps, and, and, and part of the Flyover is, is, is certainly one of them. And, and I also think that the, the basic map interface is far more attractive on Apple Maps than it is on Google Maps. But Google Google has the accuracy edge, even if Apple is is narrowing that gap. 
So the problem, of course, with this is that as with the so-called antenna gate, brouhaha, what happens with this is that Apple gets stinged with the criticism, true or not. And it's as if it never gets fixed. It never gets resolved. They always have to live down that first impression. Well, that's true. But, but I, I mean, listen, listen, I, I hate the way Apple, there the, a lot of haters pile on Apple. I hate that. It just drives me bananas. Philosophically, from a right and wrong standpoint, it drives me bananas. But Apple brought the map situation in on its, uh, uh, down on itself. It introduced maps as a completed product ready to go. All they had to do was introduce it as a beta, keep Google Maps available, saying that we're rolling this out. We want you to start using it. We're going to be making it better. And you know, that's all they had to do. And they, Apple would not have gotten anywhere near the criticism that it got. As it is, it was introduced as, as magical and, and glorious and great and fantastic, and it's awesome. And it had problems. In this particular regard, Apple has its, only itself to blame, and that's why Scott Forrestal got fired. It's why he needed to be fired, and it's why the Apple made uh, changes in, in, the, in the rest of the leadership, too. And we have to see how this works out here, but I suppose Apple can do either one of two things, which is when iOS 7 comes out, make a big promotion to what they did with Maps, or let the public do it for them, because you figure people are going to try all the things they tried with iOS 6, and we'll report on what works better or worse or is not changed. Right. Can I ask you a final question or topic here? Reports of an iPhone C, an iPhone Lite, or an iPhone M, all standing for the iPhone that will be the cheaper version, replacing the 4 and the 4S or the 5 in the lineup when a so-called 5S comes out. Do you think Apple's really going to do that? 100%. 100%. Absolutely and positively, we're going to get a low-cost iPhone. To me, the only question is how much of Apple's current lineup gets replaced. And my personal leaning on that right now is all of it. The, the, the 5, the 4S, and the 4 are all going to go away, and we're going to have to be an iPhone 5S and whatever they call this low-cost model. Well, it makes sense to me because you think Apple can take advantage of modern technologies to reduce the cost of construction. So they can sell this product for the same or less cost than an iPhone 4, for example. And they need to be in that space because a heavy number of people who buy iPhones don't buy the 5 nowadays. They buy the 4S or the 4. They just want to have an iPhone. They don't care about paying extra for a few extra frills. Yeah, and uh, you know, which, which all goes to show that uh, not having a big screen isn't holding um, – Apple back all that much, but I think that the biggest reason why Apple is doing this low-cost device, and, and when we say low-cost, we're talking low-cost compared to the regular iPhone. Apple is not going to be competing with you know free or fifty-dollar Android sets. We're, this is going to be a, a, a three to four hundred-dollar device that is designed for the mid-range market in in both developing worlds, but also in uh, in, in emerging markets. And for those emerging markets, Apple needs something that is new, that costs less, um, so that they can uh, get their foot in the door. This is really important in the BRIC countries, which is Brazil, Russia, India, and China. And I think that that's why we're seeing this change, or why we will see this change. So what will they call it? The 5C, the 5M, or the 5 Lite? I don't know. That's such a good question. I, I wonder if it wouldn't be something to the effect of iPhone M without a number. Um, I, I, I think I, I, I have I have I have 
no information on this, but my, I, I tend, I leaning, I'm, I'm, I'm so, it's so funny. I'm hedging my words here. I'm leaning towards the M is the most logical one. iPhone M. Hmm. So what would it be next year? The M1? The N? The M2. Okay. Or the 2M. Yeah, probably, probably M2. iPhone M. All right, let's write that down because we're probably doing this, what, five, six weeks ahead of the actual introduction. Yeah, hold me accountable. I'm fine for that. Hey, they've been holding me accountable for things for years, (laughs) but they can't get the money out of me. That's another story. I shouldn't be talking about things like that. But seriously speaking, there was one picture showing a tray of bottom case fittings saying iPhone 5C, but it's always possible those were prototypes. So even if you see something with a specific model number, it doesn't mean that's what Apple's going to do. It's really hard to know what Apple's doing based on the leaks coming out of the supply chain. Brian Chaffin, tell our listeners where they can find more of the stuff that you do. Go to MacObserver.com for uh, great analysis and tips and news uh, about Apple. And uh, go to GeekTells.com, it's T-E-L-L-S, for my personal blog. There you go. You can find us on Twitter, where we are known as Tech Night Owl. Once again, we are Tech Night Owl on Twitter. If you want to find me on Facebook, look for a guy named Gene Steinberg. More than likely, he's me. We also have another radio show about UFOs and things that go bump in the night. This week featuring what we call a catch-up show with myself, my co-host Chris O'Brien, and also Don Ecker on the Paracast at Paracast.com. That's Paracast.com. But right here, right now on the Tech Night Out Live, Brian Chaffin, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me, Gene. The Tech Night Owl Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bad time, same bad channel.